0: If you will turn in your Bibles with me, our text this evening is from Psalm 51.5, as Brad mentioned. Um, now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the largest category of Psalms in the Bible uh, are what are called the Psalms of Lament. Um, we can group Psalms into this category because they typically follow a, a similar pattern. So they usually start with some sort of invocation where the writer addresses or summons God to their aid. And from here, they move into a sort of complaint or, or lament. And it's here that the writer typically expresses some sort of um, anxiety or frustration or pain because of some situation that they've experienced. And they're, they're putting this before God. And having done that, they usually move on to a request, asking God to alleviate or, or fix this problem that they're, they're dealing with. And then finally, these psalms usually close out with just an expression of trust that the psalmist believes God has heard their cry and he will answer it. Well, um, our, our verse this evening comes from one such psalm, a psalm of lament. Um, if you're not familiar with the background of this psalm, verse 1 actually tells us uh, it was written by David after Nathan the prophet confronted him over his sin with Bathsheba and the subsequent murder of her husband, Uriah. And so David writes this psalm of lament in response to all of this. And what's interesting though is that, and even remarkable, is that the content of this complaint, which is found in verses three through six, because you see the thing that David is lamenting or the the evil which he's complaining about, it's his own. Um, But there's more than that. David isn't just grieving over the sin's that we read about in 2 Samuel 11. No, there's a deeper problem. And when we come to our verse, verse 5, we find the heart of his complaint. So if you'll read along with me, Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Brothers and sisters, here's what I want you to see tonight. Here in verse 5, David confesses and laments that it is his own depravity which is the root cause of his sin and the reason why he so desperately needs God's redeeming and rescuing grace. Let me say that one more time. David confesses and laments that it is his own depravity which is the root cause of his sin and the reason why he so desperately needs God's redeeming and rescuing grace. With that in mind, I want to break this down into just three brief points with you this evening. Number one, confess your depravity. Number two, lament your depravity. And number three, trust in the one who overcomes your depravity. So point number one, confess your depravity. What's important about this verse is that it serves as the culmination of all the things which David has confessed in in verses three and four. In those verses, we see David acknowledge not only the reality of his sin, but the gravity of it. He has sinned against God and God alone. All of this leads David to conclude that God's justice rightly stands against him. And it's in light of this that David confesses he's been a sinner from the very moment he was born. Now, this isn't David's way of shifting the blame for his sin to his parents or to his upbringing or to his circumstances. No, in light of his sin, David looks back on his life and he sees that from the very moment he was born, Sin has always been there, shaping him, moving him, and directing him. This isn't an excuse for sin. It's a radical admission of guilt. Because David is confessing to God that his deepest problem is himself. Brothers and sisters, when you sin, do you shift the blame for your sin to someone else or to some other circumstance? Or do you acknowledge the depravity behind it? I think one of the reasons as Christians that this is so easy for us to do is because we tend to take our depravity for granted because of the gospel. But brothers and sisters, hear me. Yes, you've been justified. Yes, you've been washed and born again. But remember, you're still in the process of being sanctified. While the cross has freed you from the penalty of sin and the Holy Spirit is working to free you from the power of sin, you will not yet be free from the presence of sin finally and fully until you die or until Christ returns. Which means, until that day, we must never take our depravity for granted. When you see sin in your life, recognize there is depravity behind it and confess that to God and confess it to each other. I want to pause for a moment and say, I am so thankful and encouraged for the way that I see so many of you practice this very thing. I rejoice when I see you all recognize the potential for sin in your own hearts. And yet, I know how easy it is to forget. Which means, brothers and sisters, we have to watch out for one another. And, and friends, this is one of the reasons why meaningful membership and church discipline and why discipleship is so crucial to our health as a body. Behind each of these practices ought to be a deep recognition of the reality and potential for sin in all of our hearts. And when that's the case, these practices will, by God's grace, work to protect this body and the gospel from the damaging effects of sin. One last thing that I think needs to be said in light of the fact that it is Mother's Day, and we did have the opportunity to recognize all of these wonderful new parents and children. Parents, mothers, let me just say this. Yes, children are a wonderful blessing from the Lord. But as our text this morning and our text this evening show us, the fact that we're born sinners means we have a solemn responsibility to raise our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And one of the ways we do that is by striving to faithfully teach them about sin and where it comes from. Parents, make sure that your kids know that depravity is real. Make sure they know where sin comes from. But most of all, make sure they know how much they need Christ. Point number two, lament your depravity. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is a psalm of lament. And that's so important because I want you to see that not only is David confessing his depravity, he is deeply grieved by it. We see that when we look at the very way he expresses it. He's been building to this from the very beginning of the psalm. But finally here in verse 5 We see him totally broken under the weight of his sin. In his grief, he cries out with this emphatic declaration saying, Behold, look God, I am guilty not only of this sin, but I have been guilty of sin from the moment I was born. Sinful from the moment I was conceived. The important point here, brothers and sisters, is that when we sin, we should not only acknowledge our sin and our depravity, but we should be broken by it. It should break our hearts. I want to warn you here. There's a kind of of grief and a kind of brokenness over sin that can be dangerous and hopeless and even obsessive. That's not what I'm commending to you. What I am commending is a kind of godly sorrow that laments sin and depravity because it sees it for what it is and it sees it the way that God sees it and it hates it. So hear me when I say this, Christian. Yes, the gospel has freed your conscience from the guilt of sin. But don't think that means that you should ever stop grieving sin or ever stop grieving your depravity. The grace of God should never make you less sensitive to sin. It should always make you more. So when you find that your heart is dull to sin or to your depravity, fall on your face before God. Ask Him to open the eyes of your heart Open up his word and let it expose the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Confess your dullness to others. Ask them to pray for you. Look to the cross and be reminded of all the sin and all the shame which Jesus bore on your behalf. And friends, what a great benefit this godly grief will be if we cultivate it. One, because the very fuel that drives our heart towards lasting repentance is this grief. When we come to hate sin we will fly towards holiness. Not only that, but lamenting your depravity, it's one of the most surefire ways of stopping pride in its tracks. And that's because this kind of grief will humble us and guard us from the temptation of thinking that we have any cause to boast or any reason to think that we're better than someone else or any kind of spiritual pride that might dwell in our hearts. This should cause us to be tender-hearted towards one another. And more patient. So for the sake of this body, brothers and sisters, lament your depravity. Finally, point number three. Trust in the one who overcomes your depravity. There's one last but crucial thing I want you to see in this verse tonight. If you look back at the beginning of the psalm, David opens his invocation by by crying out to God for mercy. When we follow his confession all the way to verse 5, we see the reason why David is asking God for mercy is because he sees the root of his sin for what it is, and he realizes that he is completely unable to redeem himself. In other words, on his own, David recognizes he is hopeless. But he knows there's hope in the God who is both willing and able to overcome his depravity. Friends, this is the gospel. This is literally Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. Remember what we considered this morning. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, living in the passions of our flesh, born by our very nature, children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love, the two things David appeals to at the beginning of this psalm, great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you recognize that you've done some bad things, but you think generally that you're a good person. Friend, for your sake, let me assure you that's not true. You and I sin for one reason and one reason alone. We are sinners and we have been from birth. But, friend, God is rich in mercy and love, and He has sent His Son Jesus, born without sin. To live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that you and I deserve, taking the punishment for sin upon Himself. And if you will repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus, He will blot out your transgressions, cleanse you of your sin, and give you a new heart, one that hates sin and loves God. Finally, brothers and sisters, not only is this the gospel, But it's the very reality, the very hope by which we're being sanctified. When you sin, yes, confess and lament your depravity. But let that grief continually drive you to the mercy and love of God. Let the bitterness of your sin make the sweetness of the gospel stand out. Let a view of the darkness of your depravity direct your eyes to the brightness of the glory of your salvation. I'll close with this. Consider the parable of the tax collector in Luke 18. What did Jesus tell him tell us about him? But the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying God be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you this man went down to his house justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, that's exactly what David's doing in this verse. And that's exactly what we must do when we sin. One day, God will finally free us from this body of sin and death. But until that day, when you sin, confess your depravity, lament your depravity, And trust in the one who overcomes your depravity. Let's pray.